All right, so here's where we've been. Ezra and Nehemiah, two books in the English Bible, one book in the Hebrew Bible because it's one story of what God does in a group of people who are in a dark place and he brings them into light, emerge brighter, is remembering that we're not the first people to go through dark times and difficult times. And I want us to start because we're going to read from Nehemiah 1, but it's easy to forget what we just heard. As we navigated through the book of Ezra, we realized a couple of things. It begins with God stirring our heart. That's how Ezra begins. God stirred the heart of Cyrus, the king of Persia, and he stirred his heart towards releasing people, God's people who are in captivity in Babylon, back to their homeland. God stirred the heart, and God stirred the heart of Zerubbabel to go, and God stirred the heart of the people to go, and it begins with the heart. And what's the first thing they do? They build a place of worship, worship until it's primary, until Jesus is the center of all things, things are going to remain dark. They just are. It's the way life is. But if we'll make worship of Jesus, not Sunday morning singing, when I'm talking about living for Jesus, the primary thing, then God can begin to rebuild what's been broken down. And that's what we've seen. Now, when we start the process, Ezra reminded us that it's easy to get off track. So we quickly saw that after they rebuilt the framework for the temple and the place of worship, they never finished. 16 years they delayed. So we realized we need to start with the heart, but then we need to stay focused. It's easy for life to distract you. You could start following Jesus and get off course. And so if we want to emerge as a brighter people out of the pandemic, out of the madness of what's going on in the season of your life, worship is central and, and focus is important because life will, take, will just take you off. You don't even need the big thing to happen to get off track. All you need is one degree of separation for three years and you are way off track. And God doesn't want that, so stay focused. And the third thing we saw from Ezra is we need the Bible. They finished the temple, great. Worship is happening, great. Distraction is gone, great. But in their worship, they stopped living out the Bible and started living their own version of what's right and true. And they did things that were dishonorable to God, but here's the good news. In all of these things, God is always speaking, God is always working, God is always drawing, God is always moving. And he takes this people and he sends a messenger, Ezra, to come back to the Bible. So we're praying for a, a Bible revival in our lives so that we can live holy. Remember, God is holy, separate, altogether, none like him, unique, perfect. He makes a people holy. You and I, if we belong to Jesus Christ, we are holy. You say, oh, no, I'm not. Yes, you are. You're set apart with the Spirit of God living in you so that you can actually accomplish whatever God wants you to do. Well, I don't know if I can do God's will for my life. Are you kidding me? It is God who enables you to be a person who can receive him and be changed and live like him. God does this. So God is holy. We are holy. And God gives us the ability to live a holy life. Doesn't mean we're going to get it perfect. But holiness is about God providing a way to draw us back. So you've been off. I was talking to someone recently who just said, Jose, man, COVID's been hard on me. And I don't know about anybody else, but I'm reading my Bible less and I'm struggling in my faith. And if that's you, uh, you're not alone because I just heard that this morning from a friend. And that happens. 
But the word to us is because God has set you apart as his child, his son, his daughter. Get back. Get back and live a holy life. Okay, so all of that is set up to realize that God has called a people to rebuild. They rebuilt the temple. They rebuilt their homes. But God was not done. He had more for them to do. How do we make, and this is the question that's going to drive today's conversation, how do we make the most of the opportunities that God brings our way? That's what we want to think about. How do you make the most of the opportunities that God brings your way? Well, there are four things I want us to see from Nehemiah that we ought to consider as we think about what God is preparing us to do as a people. And then write them down if you would. The first thing we see from Nehemiah is Nehemiah is burdened for God's people. He's burdened for God's people. Just write that down. The book opens up with a burden, a challenge, a real obstacle for God's people. And Nehemiah is is going to be burdened for what burdens the heart of God. If you don't believe me, uh, Nehemiah 1, verse uh, 1, we'll read the first four verses. We're going to look at Nehemiah 1 and and part of chapter 2. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah. Remember, Judah, Jerusalem, where God's people were, and they had rebuilt the temple, uh, with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant, the, the people who had come back, that had survived the exile, also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, quote, Those who survived the exile are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates, they've been burned with fire. So it's a mess. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. Whatever specific news Nehemiah got, and there was so much waves of good news and bad news. When we think about Emerging Brighter, what we are not saying is, man, the bad days are going to be in the past and all the good days are ahead That's not reality. And that's not the Christian life. There are waves, we're going to see it in the next few weeks, waves of obstacle and opposition and then God's power at work. There are waves. And so in the decades, mind you, this is decades of them returning. They built it and now Nehemiah is like 70 some odd years later. By the way, if you think there's a quick uh, way out of the last year and a half, I hate to tell you what you already know in your soul to be true, but you're denying, it's going to take a long while. It's going to take a long while for us to rebuild these pieces that have been broken down. Walls break down quickly. It takes a lot longer to put them back together. So be patient in what God wants to do. But Nehemiah, it starts with his burden. He gets this news of the walls are broken down and burned with fire. What exactly is happening? We don't know at the moment, but we know it took a while to get the news 1,500 miles away where he's living. And so he just, he's, he hears it and he's burned. Now we're bombarded with news, we're overloaded with news, so the problem is we scroll, just scroll through your feed of news and you realize tragedy, 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 and it doesn't even hit us, right? It's like, oh, there's a, there's a typhoon there and there's a collapse there and these people die there and we could almost get like desensitized to, to burdens and problems. But on occasion, you hear news that hits you. 
hits you, and for whatever reason, whether it's a friend or a family member, or it's news you're hearing about your own life, and suddenly you're overwhelmed. Does that ever happen to you? Like, like suddenly, like, oh, I can't believe that's happening too. And how does that make you feel? And what, what's going on in your mind? Well, we know what happens to Nehemiah when he gets this news. He is, he is weeping. He stops. He's weeping. And, and he's crying out to God. And he, for days, he fasts. He stops eating. He's so burdened. He's like, God, I'm not going to eat right now. I need to hear a word for you, from you. And, uh, and he's burdened. So what do we do with these burdens? How do we make the most of the opportunities? Well, it starts oftentimes with a burden, doesn't it? God gives you a burden. Well, how do I know that this is just like I'm sensitive and I care, and this is actually a burden from God to do something? Well, we're going to see it from Nehemiah. Most often, not always, most often, when you can't shake it and you keep praying about it and you keep thinking about it and you keep dreaming about it, you come to the point where it's going to require a sacrifice from you to see a change. That's not the only indicator, but a, a very healthy indicator is when you can't shake it and then you realize this is going to cost me something big. That's, that's often a telltale sign that God might be working in your life. Well, Nehemiah is going to get that because he's in a great position with a great job and a great life. And you may not feel that that's the, the, the truth about you, but let me tell you, having traveled all over the world, our lives are challenging, yeah. But oh my, get on a plane. Get on a plane. While we do suffer and while we do have challenges that are very real, I don't want to minimize our struggle Look, for most of us, you could turn on the tap and drink it and not worry if you're going to get sick and die. And for most of us, you have more than one set of clothes to wear. And your shoes aren't ridden with holes. And for most of us, you're not worried if you're going to eat tomorrow. You're worried about where you get to eat tomorrow and what you might want to indulge in. So there are burdens and then there are burdens, right? Well, Nehemiah realizes his posh life is about to change. Let's just keep reading. Verse 5. Then I said, and he cries out to God, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keeps his commandments, let your ear, God, be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you notice. Day and night for your servants, with the servants, the people of Israel, the people who are living in Jerusalem. I confess the sins Notice, we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We've acted very wickedly towards you. We've not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. He's remembering the time of Ezra, which is about 12, 13 years before he comes. How they, they disobeyed God. We did it. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations, but... If you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. He's recounting the Bible story. 
God had promised, if you, if you abandon me, I will send you away so that you'll learn that there's no one greater than me. And now he's sitting in that, right? God, we're here because of our own doing. He's living in Babylon. We're here far from you because of our own sin. But God, you said if we cried out, you would bring us back. Verse 10, they are your servants and your people who you've redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants, so he's not the only one, who delight in revering your name. And then he gets specific with God. Give your servant, speaking of himself, success today by granting him favor in the presence of this Man, those of you who know the story, he's about to go to the king and ask for help. I want us to notice this. When we say that Nehemiah is burdened for God's people, we got to remember that vision often begins with a burden. Vision about the future often begins with a burden. Think of the entrepreneurial spirit. People who create things usually are burdened for something like, that doesn't work. I'm going to make something that will make that better. Hey, there's a missing opportunity. How come no one is, and whatever product or service it is, how come this is being left undone? Or it's, it's not as effective as it could be. And it starts with that burden. Let me just ask you, what burdens are stirred in your soul right now? Now, when I say burden, an entrepreneur, this, that, it doesn't have to be some big thing. It could be like, you know what? Our family dynamic isn't amazing. And I'm burdened for that. This person and this person are not in a good spot. I'm not in a good spot with that person. I'm burdened. God, I want it to be the way it should be. That, that's a burden that could be from God. It could be for your family. It could be for your work environment. After, for some of you, being on a team with people you've never even met. And you're burdened because you want to you have an impact in their life and you want to grow in friendship, but you're all staring at screens or it's not the way it used to be. And that's a burden, right? Vision to change often begins with a burden. It could be a burden for our city. You're like looking at our city right now. You're like, man, why is or why isn't? And then your heart's like, gosh, God, well, what we want to do, friends, we want to talk about these things because you'll, you'll be surprised when you talk to people honestly about what really motivates them. Just ask someone, hey, what really wakes you up in the morning? What motivates you? If you could do anything to be involved in anything, what would the anything be? I mean, think, dream deeply about what, what you would love to pour your life into. It's amazing what you'll find if you just listen. So in your community groups, we're inviting you to talk about the things. They may not seem big to anybody, but the things that are burdening you. Vision begins with a burden. And for Nehemiah, he's burdened that God's people are suffering. Second thing I want us to see, because it's not just about a burden, is Nehemiah is positioned by God. Nehemiah, the last little line of that chapter, chapter one, which I skipped on purpose, he starts by saying, I was cupbearer to the king. So if you're reading it for the first time or hearing it for the first time, you don't realize, here's a guy who gets a burden, the walls are broken down, burned with fire, and then at the end, he prays to God, God, Give me like favor because I'm about to go in. I'm the cupbearer. Now what's the cupbearer? It's exactly what you think. He is part of the king's entourage and his role would be to taste 
and make sure it's safe, whatever the king's going to drink or eat. But more than that, he knows what the king likes. And you don't want to make the king upset. You don't want the chef to be killed. So part of your role is to, to help the king enjoy the king's experience. So you're on the king's team, which means you're walking with the king. And you may be in the room when the king is meeting with leaders. And you may be hearing conversations. You're a confidant of a person of authority. Think in our, you know, what's an equivalent? It'd be like a key aide in the White House. You weren't elected. You weren't appointed. You were brought in. No one really knows your name. But you have, you have the all-access pass. You have the clearance. And you're in the room at the back doing your little part when big things are happening. You know, Nehemiah recognizes when he tells the story of God uh, that he was positioned by God himself. God was already at work in Jerusalem, by the way. Like, again, again, I said, uh, Zerubbabel had come. They rebuilt the temple. and All that was done. That's the first few decades. Then there's a gap. And then Ezra comes decades later, and God works, and there's a Bible revival, and people say, I want to follow God and his ways. And then 12, 13 years later, while the Bible is being restored, then Nehemiah gets a burden. You're not the first person, okay? Um, but your burden given by God really matters, and the timing of your obedience really matters. And so Nehemiah is put at the right place at the right time to do the right things. And everything that's happened in his past may have just been like, God, thank you for a great job. And thank you for a safe space. And thank you that I get to eat where the king is. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. He had no idea what God was setting up for. Can I just suggest to you, God probably has been setting you up for some stuff you don't even know about. And where he's put you and when and why and with whom is part of his master plan. Ezra and Nehemiah is not about Zerubbabel and Ezra and Nehemiah and these ancient leaders and these ancient people building stuff. No, it's about God restoring his presence among his people, bringing them out of darkness to emerge brighter so that Jesus could come. That's what you need to see. All of this is 450 years before the coming of Jesus. But in order for Jesus to come, these things needed to be in place. You have no idea of where you fit in the story of what God is doing in the next 200 years. Think about that. Your life matters now, not just for you and your life and your future and your joy and your happiness. All of those things are really cool. But do you know, if Jesus doesn't return 200 years from now, what you are doing right now could be the foundation to set up the next generation and the generation after that for the move of God. And where do we fit in God's story? We need to remember Jesus' people. Now, if you don't belong to Jesus, here's my recommendation. Start following Jesus. Because what would it be like to, to live your life your own way and miss the amazing thing that Jesus can do through it? Following Jesus really matters because he takes us even with all of our brokenness and foolishness, and he does beautiful things. There's Zerubbabel, Ezra, Nehemiah, everyone. They've got this legacy of God did this even through me. And man, I wouldn't want to miss that. Remember, you have been placed by God. Even Jeremiah, Jeremiah tells us the prophet, before I even knew you or formed you in your mother's womb, God says, I knew you. And I appointed you to be a messenger to the nations. God 
has these things in our lives that he's been preparing before we even recognize him, before we even started following him. So there are places that God had you that were important. He's, there's places he has you in right now that matter. And there's places, hear this, we're going to see from Nehemiah, that he wants to take you that matter. It's why going back to primary worship of Jesus really matters. Really walking with him in holiness really matters because I don't want to miss what Jesus is doing. Following Jesus is not just about this like Sunday morning thing. It's about all of life. And that's what you're going to see. On the job, Nehemiah has a burden from God that his job is going to play into. So write this down. Don't underestimate what God wants to do through you at home or in the workplace or in the neighborhood. For most of us, the big thing that God or the big things that God wants to do in our world aren't happening necessarily in this space. This space, God is using us. It does matter. But for most of us, if you think about it, it's where we live and work. So when we think about the dreams and the visions and the burdens, if it's for your neighborhood, man, that's a God-sized thing. If it's for your family, that's a God-sized thing. Side note, but related. So as a church, how do we focus on what Jesus wants us to do, help people experience life in him? And I'd say we, are, we recognize most people, if they're going to follow Jesus in their life, start between the ages of 4 and 14. Doesn't mean they started at that age, but that seed was sown, that first initial desire was there between the ages of 4 and 14. And the number of people who start following Jesus who've had no Jesus connection prior to 14 drops off radically. So we want to be wise. So as a church, if you're in your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 88, celebrating 70 some odd years of marriage, wonderful. We love you. But I can tell you this from a, from a thought and a strategy perspective, we are thinking young. We want to put more energy, time, resources, developing, investing in young people. Because if that seed is so now, they could start following now or probably will in the future. And if not, it's going to make it a whole lot harder. So, so, so don't underestimate what God wants to do with you in your home. Just a word to those of you who have influence. Uh, you have a niece or a nephew. You have that neighbor kid. You have grandkids, you have, uh, maybe it's your own children. All of us have influence of, over a younger person, even if you're an older sibling. You're like, you're 15 and you're out here and you have a seven-year-old, you know, younger sibling that you can't stand. Uh, you have influence. You have influence. And so what would it look like if we invited God to burden us to pour into the people that are younger than us? It could be as simple as that. And, and that might not seem like, wow, you say, well, I'm a stay-at-home mom or, you know, I'm a grandparent watching our grandkids so our kids can go out and work. I say, man, you're like, you're like a king or a queen with the authority over a kingdom, even though it's only two people. But what God could do through them because of your investment. So what I want us to see is that this, it starts with a burden, right? But it's not just a burden, it recognizes that, that God puts us in places for reasons that are beyond us. All right, the, the third thing I want us to see is Nehemiah takes steps 
of faith. This is so good. He takes actual steps of faith. Just look at Nehemiah 2 verses 1 through 6. It says, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, this is three months later, when wine was being brought for him, a.k.a. that's his job, I took the wine, I gave it to the king. Notice his strategy. I had not been sad in his presence before, which because you're not sad in front of the king. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This could be nothing but sadness of heart. So he knows how to open the door. I was very much afraid. Uh-oh, what do I do now? But I said to the king, may the king live forever when in doubt butter him up. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins? This is in a time where connecting with your ancestors really matters. So he comes with the angle, I'm going to look sad, and I'm going to say to the king, this is, this is strategy, my ancestors, my forefathers, their place is buried in lies and ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. The king said to me, well, what do you want? So he's got him. Then I prayed to the God of heaven. He says a quick prayer like, Lord, help me. And I answered the king, well, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, which he already has, let them send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, well, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? And it pleased the king to send me. So, so he sets a time. I want us to see what's happening here. For three months, he's been fasting and praying and weeping and dreaming and then he knows, i got to open a door. And at the right time, he sees where God's at work. And he comes in like, oh, my life stinks. And, and the king's like, whoa, what's going on? And he already knows what to ask for. And he's already prepared. But God opens the door. Out of prayer, he does something. Write this down. Our prayers ought to move us to action. It's not enough to talk to God about it. If we want to emerge brighter, God's going to stir us to do things specifically. And so he says, he says God, here I am. I, I cry out to you. S king, send me. And by the way, Judah is in that king's jurisdiction. So he's not asking for a selfish thing. He's asking for something that's going to help the king. Because if the king's kingdom is expanded, people are going to give honor to the king. He's like, here am I. I know I'm, I'm helping you, but I can really help you over there. And it's going to cover my ancestors and my forefathers. It's going to help me leave a legacy for my family. And you know that's an honorable thing. I want to sacrifice for the good of my family line. And so this is beautiful. When we were first um, launching this church almost 10 years ago, we were praying about what, where to meet. And some of you were there. We had these prayer meetings at the Luis Palau building just down the road uh, once a month. And we invited people to come and pray. People would ask me, well, when are you going to start? I'm like, I have no idea. Well, where are you meeting? I have no idea. Well, what do you want me to do? I, I don't know. Come and pray. We literally did not know. And we, we asked everyone every month to pray about whatever came up. So early on, I was like, all right, in order to start, which everyone's asking, we need a place. Let's pray for a place. And, and, and God's people who come together were burdened and prayed. Do you know from that first prayer meeting, it was one week, not even the, till the next month, one week till I was standing in this room. There was another church that was meeting here who had built this out as a church. And I was meeting the, the church planter for coffee. And he's like, do you know where we meet? I'm like, I have no idea. He's like, do you mind going over there? I'm like, sure. So we walk, this, we walk in this space. I'm like, whoa, 
This is amazing. He's like, yeah. We meet here just on Sunday morning. It was a second campus for them. Our offices aren't here. We're here just Sunday morning for an, an hour or two. He's like, so when are you planting? I'm like, I don't know. He's like, well, do you want a place to meet? I'm like, well, we're looking. He's like, do you want to meet here Sunday nights? I'm like, no. I don't want to meet on Sunday night. It's kind of lame. And um, guy vision Sunday morning. And then he's like, well, if you ever want to meet on Sunday night, I'll give you, I can give you the keys and you can meet here. And I'm like, ding, ding, ding. God may be doing something here. Like, I kind of like Sunday night now. And so that's how we started. We meeting, started meeting once a month here on Sunday. And then we decided to start Sunday night church. That's how we were planted. Some of you were, how many of you were here just like in those early days? Where we were just Sunday nights. I know we annoyed all of you. Thank you for still being here. And for some, it was great. For, for parents with small kids, it was not great. And within two years, we were struggling because anyone with a family was like, our kids are just going you know, home and it's terrible. Could you start something on Sunday morning? So we prayed and like, you know what? We feel like we need to start something Sunday morning. So um, we didn't know where to meet. So a leader who helped us in all of this had said, why don't you talk to the leaders at Liberty High School who had told us no. I originally prayed that God would open the door for us to meet at Liberty High School. And I went to the principal. I was like, nope, never happened. It's not going to happen. It's like, okay, thank you. Closed door. And so we're meeting here and and this leader just said, go, go back and ask him. I'm like, I don't want to go back. He already told me no. Hey, pray and go back. Prayed, went back and said, hey, we're, we need a space. We've been meeting for two years. We need a space on Sunday morning. We're looking. We have an agent. We're looking for buildings. But could we meet here so that we actually can get a crew started so when we have this group meeting on Sunday morning, it'll be easier to move into a new space? He's like, sure. I'm like, what? I'm like, sure. How? God stirred the heart. It wasn't when we began. We began here, but at the right time, God moved us to liberty and, and opened that door after he said no. Now, it turns out later, the reason he said yes is because he was about to leave the school, so he didn't care. <laughs> now, I'm interpreting that, but I know the facts are the facts. And so we got in, and before we started meeting there, he was like, see ya. Next principle's problem. And we were there, and I thought it would be amazing. And it wasn't. It was harder. I didn't see that coming. And we couldn't find a place. And now we're really in trouble. And, and then I got a call out of, out of nowhere. Hey can, hey, can we meet? It was one of the leaders who was going to the church I was meeting here. Long story short, that church was going to close their campus here. And, and one of their leaders said, I really feel like this should become an event center but I really want it to be a church. Would you come back and be the church that meets here on Sunday? And that's how we got here. And this is the story of our life. We pray, we're burdened, and God opens doors little by little. But our prayers move us to action. We started Sunday night. That was action. We moved to Liberty. That was action. We came back here. That was action. And some of you don't even know, but during COVID and the meltdown of business, it flipped. And for us, February of this year, we took over and are now the lease owner over all of the space. For years, all we had access was Sunday morning, and now we have access to the building 24-7, but yet it's coded as an event center and a church, which gives us the unique ability to now rent out the rooms to other events and, and have that income for the church. And, and what God is doing is, is amazing, but it's faith and prayer, not just prayer, and not just blind faith. And that's what I want us to see. Fourth thing I want us to remember, you know, not only is it important that we're burdened 
from God, right? We, we, we hear from him. We remember that we've been positioned by God to do things that are beyond what we can even uh, imagine. But Nehemiah is also patient in the process. Don't forget that. I just want to read a little bit more from chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. Read the rest on your own, and we'll, we'll look at the rest of chapter 2 uh, next week. But verses, I'm sorry, 11 and 12. I went to Jerusalem, so the king let him go. And after staying there three days, verse 12, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one that I was riding on. So Nehemiah is patient in the process. Months of praying before God. Then he talks to the king. Months of preparation to go. Took him months to get there. And you think by the time he got there, he's like, guys, get together. No one knew. No one in Jerusalem knew what was about to happen. But Nehemiah is wisely patient. You know, some of us, we have a vision from God, a burden from God, this call from God, but we want it to happen in our timing. And in wisdom, Nehemiah, he assesses the situation himself. He'd heard about the walls. He didn't see them. There were no photos. So he takes a horse by himself. He came with an entourage filled with money and timber to finish the job. But before he calls him to action, he gets away and he sees it himself and he prays some more and God births the specific details. And this is an encouraging word. You don't need to immediately jump to action. What we need to do is all the way live wise. How do we know if this opportunity is God-sized? Nehemiah needs to see it. So there's one thing to have a dream and a vision, but you just don't plunge and start an organization to fulfill that need. No, you do your due diligence. You inspect and you talk with people who live there and you discern what the right process is. And in the big picture, we remember we're always building on what God has done before us. The books are not about the people who did the job. The books are about a God who's faithful to bring people from darkness to light. But everyone has their part. And what would it look like if we were patient and trusted God and used wisdom? It doesn't happen in a day. It doesn't happen in an hour. And the things I've dreamed about God doing, some of them have happened. Some of them, like that wasn't a God-sized dream. That was my idea. You lay it aside. Others have taken a long time, but now I see like planting it in the ground and watering it and giving it time. I'm starting to see little blades of, of green life. I'm like, aha, look at God what you're doing. How do we, how do we move from, from just hearing about the burdens to receiving the burdens ourselves to taking action? It, it goes down to the initial question. How do we make the most of the opportunities God brings our way. Well, we take these burdens and we turn them into prayers. While we're praying, we begin to invite God to give us even the faith to take action because Nehemiah sees it's going to cost me something. So we, we count the cost and then we take steps of faith. Nehemiah goes to the king. King says, yes. Nehemiah moves and he invites people to go with him and then he assesses the situation, and we're going to see from next week that they're actually going to build the wall, but he's patient in the process. Um, this is what it looks like for Nehemiah and the kingdom of God and the people of God. But let's just talk about us for a second. Why this? Why now? You just need to know, and I've been talking about it lightly, but 
If you're going to miss next week, please watch next week's message. Please, if you can, be here next week because for months and months and months and months and months, the elders in our church, the staff in our church, the leaders in our church, we've been praying and whiteboarding and visioning and dreaming and preparing and doing due diligence. And we believe that we're on the cusp of what God wants to do in the craziest of times. In, in a, the most uncertain times in the world, we are certain that God wants us to rebuild. Rebuild not just walls, but to rebuild and position our community to help more people experience life in Jesus in the future. But in order to do that, then we need to act now. And so we're going to invite you to step into some very clear things that we believe that God is saying and that God is doing. And, and we're unashamed to say we believe that the Spirit has been moving, but now is the time for us to act. I want to give next week, as you read the end of chapter 2, and all of chapter 3, it's about what people did and bringing a vision to life. And so we want to invite you to participate in what God is doing. But the reason for today's message is because it all starts with the heart. So I'm inviting you, if this is your church, if this is where you call home, that you would take this week to pray and fast. That's, that's refrain from food to take the time and energy to seek God. And that could be one meal, like one breakfast meal. God, instead of breakfast tomorrow, I, I'm just going to withhold that. I want to hear from you, Lord, capture my heart. So that as we begin to share the details over the next few weeks as a church, our heart will already be ready. And maybe the Lord is going to confirm when you hear things, some, some stirrings he's already put in your soul. Or maybe as you're praying, you're just laying the groundwork for you to hear something from God and, and the action step, I don't know uh, for you, but I know that now is this beautiful time for us to pray and seek and have faith and act. And so I'm excited for what God's going to cause you to step into. Um, I, I got a clear sense of what he wants to do in the big picture of our community, but I've been dreaming thinking about this for months, so it's easy. But I'm excited to hear your story of how God has collided where he's bringing you and the opportunities to now be useful in, in loving our city. We want to become the most welcoming people in our city. We want to become the most welcoming people. That this church community is just the most welcoming people in our city. And some things are going to need to happen for us to move in that direction. All right. Left you hanging. Talk to you next week. But, but for now, what we want to do is Build on what we've heard, okay? We want to invite the Holy Spirit to stir our heart. So I'm going to invite you, if you're in the room, to stand. If you're at home, uh, whatever posture you're in, can I just invite you to change that posture a little bit? If, you, if you're under the covers, get, get out of the covers, okay? Uh, if, you're, if you're sitting, why don't you stand? If you're standing, why don't you kneel? Like, just change your posture because it... It awakens you to something. And uh, our team, Ryan and Meredith, are going to lead us in worship. We're going to take communion together. And we're going to remember that Jesus is the one that makes all things possible. His life, death, and resurrection has given us new life. And now we can live out the vision that God has as Jesus prepares to return. He has stuff for us to do. 
So in communion, we remember Jesus, you and us, uh, and we in you, and together we can partner to fulfill your purposes on the planet. And that's a beautiful invitation. Lord, we're here, and we're just inviting you, God, because of your love, cause us to be aware of where you're inviting us to step in. Lord, if we're already in it, Lord, thank you for the encouragement and the joy and the confirmation that you give that we're, we're on the right path already. But in all these things, Lord, for some of us who are hurting and just struggling and burdened right now, overwhelmed by the darkness that's around us, God, I thank you that you're the burden lifter. As we turn our eyes and our vision to you, Jesus, care for us as no one else can. You're the God who's faithful. King, Jesus, bring healing where it's needed, bring direction where it's needed, bring hope where it's needed, bring rescue where it's needed. God, do these things for the glory of your name.